morning, everybody. It's time for another episode of Deadly Days, Tales of Dark Fantasy. I'm Joe Bandel, and I translate uh, these stories. Today's story is going to be by Hans Heinz Ewers, or Avers, the way it's pronounced in German. Uh, it's in this book that I've translated myself. Uh, before I get into it, I just share a little bit about uh, translating. Because this is something that there's so few people out there that really do it. There's When you talk about translating, people that translate, it, there are very, very few people that translate high-end literature such as, as what we're talking about uh, <clears throat> from one language into another. Most translating jobs is either translating legal documents, translating medical documents, or uh, translating how to put it together manuals. And that's because translating high-end literature is extremely difficult. It has to be a labor of love, and it does not pay well at all. Okay. So that's why you don't see very much of this happening. What The only translated books you're going to find out there, generally speaking, are books that are very successful, that have made into movies and things like that, and then uh, they pay to get them translated into other languages. What I do, this is out of love, and I'm self-taught. I'm self-taught for German. I'm self-taught for typing. I'm self-taught for my English, and it has not come easy. It's, like I said, it, it's a labor of love. And this type of literature that we're looking at, which is dark fantasy, horror, coming out of the decadent period of German literature, is an extremely small niche. Uh, there's very there's not very many people that are attracted to this kind of literature, but the ones that are, they really, really love it. And I really, really love it. And that's kind of why I'm sharing it, because I think more people should know about it. Uh, it's, and I'm learning all the time. I, it takes me, if I'm lucky, if I'm going good, it takes me an hour to translate one page of text. Okay? So that kind of gives you an idea uh, of the time investment that I have uh, in these stories. And love it, you know, and I, I do it anyway. Uh, 
and I publish what I can, self-publish. I have uh, a friend over in England, uh, Side Real Press. I work with some projects uh, with him from time, you know, time to time, and he helps me out with the layout on their Orchidean Garden magazine. But basically, it's just kind of a, it's a hobby for me. So I thought I'd share that. Uh, and also, if you like these stories, if you think, hey, these are kind of cool, I'd like to know more of that, please try to subscribe and share so that other people can find out. This is going to be the third story in my podcast series, episode number three. And the only way it's going to grow is to find, for people to find it however they can. One of the best ways of finding it is to kind of share it. So if, if you feel in your heart, if you feel, hey, this is cool, I, I'd like to uh, share that, well, thank you very much for that. Uh, okay, The White Maiden, Naples, May 1907. Donald McLean was waiting at the coffee house. As Lothar entered, he called out to him, Finally, I believed you weren't coming. Luthar sat down and poked at the lemonade the girl brought him. What's up? he asked. MacLean bent forward a little. It will be interesting for you, he said. You've studied the transformations of Aphrodite. Well then, perhaps you will see a new manifestation of the foam-born one. Luthar yawned. Oh, really? Really, said McLean. Excuse me a minute, Lothar continued. Venus is the true daughters of Proteus, but I believe I know all of her variations. I spent over a year in Bombay with Klaus Peterson. So, said the Scotsman. So, you know Klaus Peterson, don't you? Herr Klaus Peterson of Hamburg has a talent, is perhaps a genius. The Marshal Gilles de Rays was a charlatan compared to him. Donald McLean shrugged his shoulders. He is not the only one with talent. Certainly not. But just wait. As you know, Oscar Wilde was my good friend, and I have known Inez Seckett through long years. Each of these could produce a complete transformation that was sensational. Yet not all of them, the painter threw in. Not all, Lothar drummed on the table, but the best of them. In short, I know Venus as she turns into Eros. I know her as she puts on furs and swings the scourge. I know Venus is the bloodthirsty sphinx who sinks her claws into the tender flesh of children. I know the Venus that dances lewdly in rotten carrion. 
and I know the black love goddess for whom the priest sprays his disgusting sacrifice over the virgin's white body at Satan's black mass. Lorette Dumont took me along to her animal park. I know what few know, how rare and stimulating the secret appeal of bestiality is. Still more, in Geneva, I have discovered Lady Kathleen McMurdoch's secret, which no other living person knows. I know the depraved Venus, or should I say the purest, the marriage of humans to flowers. Do you still believe the goddess of love can choose a guise that will be new to me? McLean slowly slurped at his strega. I promise you nothing, he said. I only know that Duke Ettor Aldo Brandino has been back in Naples again for three days. I met him yesterday at the Toledo. I would be happy to make his acquaintance, replied Lothar. I've often heard of him. He is one of the few people that understands how to make art out of life and has the means to do it. I believe I don't have to explain him to you, continued the Scottish painter. You shall soon see for yourself. The Duke is giving a party the day after tomorrow, and I would like to introduce you. Thank you, said Lothar. The Scot laughed. Eldo Brandini was a very good was very good humored when I met with him. It happens that the time to which he invited me is unusual. Five o'clock in the afternoon. I am entirely certain that something is up. I believe the Duke has a very special surprise for his friends, and if that is the case, you can be certain we will experience something unheard of. The Duke never travels on well-trod paths. Let's hope you're right, sighed Lothar. May I have the satisfaction of picking you up the day after tomorrow? Thank you very much, responded the painter. Largo, San Domenico, cried McLean to the coachman. Plazo Corigliano. They both climbed up the broad baroque steps. An English servant led them into the salon. They found seven or eight gentlemen, all in tails, and a priest in a violet, violet cassock on the lower level. McLean introduced his friend to the Duke, who shook Lothar's hand. I thank you for coming, he said with a charming smile. I hope you will not be disappointed. He excused himself and turned with a loud voice to address all those present. Gentlemen, he said. I beg your pardon to have inconvenienced you at such an untimely hour, but I am placed in a tight spot. The little dough that I have the honor of presenting to you today is unfortunately from an extraordinarily proper and upstanding family. It is only with great difficulty that she can come here, and she must, under all circumstances, be back home by half past seven this evening so that her mama, papa, and the English governess won't notice. 
That, gentlemen, is one of the things a cavalier must take into consideration. And now I beg you to excuse me for a few minutes. I still have a few preparations to make. Meanwhile, if you would be so good as to partake of some refreshments. The Duke waved to his servants, bowed a couple more times, and then went out. A gentleman with the giant Victor Emmanuel mustache came up to Lothar. It was Dinardis, the political editor, ed, editor of the Thungalo, who wrote under the pseudonym of Fuoco. I bet we will be seeing an Arabian parody, he laughed. The Duke has just returned from Baghdad. The priest shook his head. No, Don Goffrello, he said. We will be enjoying a little peace from the Roman Renaissance. The Duke studied Valdemoni's secret history, the Borgia, for a year. The director of the Reich's archives in Severino Socio only let him read them after long begging. Well, we shall certainly see, said McLean. Meanwhile, would you give me tomorrow's racing tips that you promised me? The editor pulled out his notebook and became absorbed with the priest and the Scottish painter in turf talk. Lothar slowly ate orange sherbet from a crystal plate. He studied the beautiful golden spoon that showed the crest of the Eldar Brandini's, a scalloped crossbar between six stars. After half an hour, the servant pushed the curtains back. The Duke invites you, he cried. He led the gentleman through two small rooms, then opened the double door, let everyone enter, and closed it quickly behind them. They found themselves in a large, very long room that was now very dimly lit. The floor was covered in wine-red carpet. The windows and doors were thoroughly covered with heavy curtains of the same color, and the ceiling was as well. The walls, which were completely empty, were covered in the same wine-red fabric, and the few chairs and divan were upholstered with it too. The back of the room was completely dark, and only with effort could you make out an instrument covered with a heavy red cloth. I beg the gentlemen to take their places, cried the duke. He sat down, and the others followed his example. The servant stepped quickly from one golden wall lamp to another, putting out the few candles. As the room became entirely dark, they heard a soft music coming from the harpsichord. A series of soothing sounds flowed lightly through the hall. Palestrina murmured the priest softly. You see that you are wrong with your Arabian guest, Don Goffredo. Well, answered the editor just as quietly, did you do any better with your thought of Césaire Borgia? They could tell the instrument was an ancient spinet. 
the simple tones awoke a strange sensation in Lothar. He thought back but couldn't recognize the feeling, what it really was. In any case, it was something that he hadn't felt for a long, long time. Dinardis leaned over to him so close that the long mustache tickled his cheek. I feel it, he whispered in his ear. I never knew that I could still be so naive. Lothar felt the same way. After a while, the silent servant lit two candles. A faint, almost sinister glimmer fell through the hall. The music went on. And yet, whispered Lothar to his neighbor, and yet there is a strange menace to the sound. I would like to say it's an innocent menace. The silent servant lit a couple more candles. Lothar stared at the red color that filled the room like a bloody haze. The blood color almost choked him. The sounds were like a dim white light rising, and his soul clung to them, but the red pressed itself back and dominated, gaining the upper hand. The silent servant lit still more candles. I can't bear much more, Lothar heard the editor murmur between his teeth. Now the hall was half lit up. The red pressed in and covered everything. The white light of the innocent music became fainter, fainter. Then a figure stepped past the spinet and up to the front. It was a young maiden wrapped in a large white cloth. She stepped slowly into the middle of the hall a bright shining white cloud in the red fire. Then the maiden stopped and stood still. She spread her arms apart so that the cloth surrounding her fell down. The cloth kissed her feet like silent swans, but the white of the maiden's body glowed even more. Lothar leaned back and unconsciously raised his hand to his eyes. She's almost blinding, he breathed. She was a young, scarcely developed girl of a delightful budding immaturity, a sovereign innocent in need of no defense, and yet with a certain promise of awakening desire and extreme fulfillment. Her blue-black hair was parted in the middle, waved over her temples and ears and around the back where it was pinned into a heavy knot. Her large black eyes looked straight out at the gentleman, indifferent, without seeing anyone. Her lips seemed to smile, a strange, unconscious smile of menacing innocence, and her radiant white flesh glowed so brightly that all the surrounding red appeared to recede. She rang out of the music like jubilation. Now, for the first time, Lothar noticed that the girl carried a snow-white dove on her hand. She bowed her head down a little and raised her hand, stroking the white dove on its little head. 
The dove kissed the white maiden that stroked it, that gently scratched its little head and lightly pressed the little animal against her breasts. The white dove raised its wings a little and snuggled tightly, tightly against the glowing flesh. Blessed dove, whispered the priest. Then with a quick sudden movement, the white maiden raised the dove with both hands high into the air, straight over her head. She threw her head back and with a strong pull, tore the white dove apart. Then without a drop disturbing her face, the red blood flowed down in long streams over her shoulders and breasts, over the radiant body of the white maiden. All around, the red pulled itself back together. It was as if the white maiden sank, trembling, seeking help, cowering down into a mighty bath of blood. From all sides, the voluptuous fire crept up to it. The floor opened itself like an avenging fire, a terrible red that devoured the white maiden. The next second, the trap door closed again. The silent servant tore the curtain back and quickly led the gentleman into the adjoining room. No one seemed to feel like speaking. They quietly took their coats and went downstairs. The Duke was gone. Gentlemen, said the editor of the Pungalow to Lothar and the Scottish painter when they reached the street. Would you like to eat dinner at Bertolini's Terrassa? The three went there. They quietly drank their champagne, quietly stared out at the cruel beauty of Naples that the last rays of the evening sun immersed in a glowing fire. The editor pulled out a notebook and wrote down a few numbers. 16 equals blood. 4 equals dove. 21 equals virgin. A beautiful trio, he said. I will play them this week in the lottery. That's the end of the story for this week. Please comment if you'd like it. Comment, whatever. Uh, and next week, we're going to do a story by Carl Hans Strobel again. That's going to be called The Tomb at Pierre Lachaise. So uh, stay tuned for that one, and we'll see you next week.